Good morning. Uh, so, did it get cold yesterday? Uh, is that now? Some of you are like, "Oh, you just wait until winter, buddy. You don't know what cold is." Um, I actually like the cold. Um, my wife does not so much. But uh, but yesterday it was a little colder, and yet despite that, there were a number of folks from this church who went to Tinton Falls Day and served. A uh, big celebration yesterday in Tinton Falls. Uh, we as a church had a booth. And so I just want to say, for those of you who braved the cold uh, and, and helped set up the booth, who, uh, who talked to people who came by about Park Church, uh, for you amazing people who helped my kids make little sand crafts, uh, and for you who helped kind of close down shop for the day, I just want to say thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, this is the sort of thing we want to do. This is such an easy way to be present and engaged with our neighbors. And we want to be the sort of church who is present with, engaged with, and genuinely loves our neighbors. So, so thank you to those of you who, who were involved. This morning, uh, we are concluding our series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and, and to begin this morning, what I'd like to do is I want to invite you to imagine a fictitious scenario, okay? So imagine for a moment that you are on vacation, right? This will be a nice relaxing start for the morning. Imagine you're on vacation and it's a beach vacation, let's say in France, all right? Uh, and, and imagine you're with either, either your family or good friends, or if it suits you, just all by yourself, all right, and you're, you're having a good time. You're about three to four days in, which means you've gotten to that point where you've finally achieved that internal sense of peace and you're no longer, you're no longer buzzing and thinking about everything that, that you're not doing back at home. And you wake up, you're enjoying breakfast, you're planning the day, long day on the beach, and then you hear it. Boom! That's supposed to be a, an explosion. Um, boom! You hear this explosion, and it startles you, and you think, what in the world is going on? And then you hear another one. Boom! And then you hear gunfire. Okay, that's a terrible... <laughs> imagine whatever gunfire sounds like. like you know, you're, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, what is going on right now? And you go and you look out the window, and you see boats coming onto the shore, soldiers coming onto the beach, and, and you are flabbergasted. And then there's a pounding at your door. And you open the door, and a soldier is standing there and saying, sir, listen, we need to use your cabin. We need to use your cabin as a, as a medical unit, as a respite. Will you let us in? Now, in a scenario like this, Imagine then you respond by saying, listen, sir, I so appreciate everything that's happening out there, but I'm on vacation. I mean, you have to understand, I took time off of work to come here. We've got a whole long day planned, right? We're going to spend time on the beach. Uh, we're going out to this nice restaurant. Right? Sorry, I just, I can't help you right now. Now, 
As soon as I say that, in your mind, you know that would be a ridiculous response. And the reason why that's a ridiculous response is because in that moment, if you said something like that, you would be operating from a fundamentally vacation mentality while in the middle of a war. You would be having a vacation mentality while, in reality, you are smack dab in the middle of a war. I believe that many people today have a vacation mentality while we are in truth in the middle of a war, a spiritual war. We live every day of our lives in the midst of an invisible, cosmic, spiritual war. There are unseen powers in this world that are actively trying to corrupt, disrupt, and destroy your life. There are powers in this world that are, are trying to pull you away from God, that are trying to disrupt the most meaningful relationships in your life, that, that are trying to get you to believe lies in the depths of your heart and make decisions that would ultimately hurt you and those around you. And while we cannot see physically these forces at play in this world, we feel it all the time, don't we? We feel this war around us. Anytime you experience a marriage on the rocks, someone who is in the grip of addiction, a son or a daughter who, who maybe at one point professed faith in Jesus, but, but now is running about as fast in the opposite direction as you could possibly imagine. We are in the midst of a war. Now, now when I say vacation mentality, I'm, I'm speaking in terms of metaphor, right? I love me a good vacation as much as the next person. Uh, and in fact, went on vacation just a couple years ago to Denmark. Um, this is probably a bad example because our kids were like one in three. So like flying across the Atlantic, with that, that was not really a vacation. It was supposed to be though. But you know that when you're on vacation, your biggest concerns are, okay, where are we going to eat? Right? What show are we going to go to? How long should we stay at the beach? Your biggest concerns, rightfully so, when you're on vacation, are concerning your comfort, entertainment, which it should when you're on vacation. But friends, if this is the fundamental mentality from which we live our entire lives, then we are in trouble. And if we are not attentive to what's happening all around us, if we go through life as if we're on vacation, as opposed to in the center of a cosmic, invisible, spiritual war, we will be played by the enemy. As we conclude our series on the Lord's Prayer this morning, Jesus wants to teach us something about this war. He wants to, he wants to shepherd us toward understanding the nature of the mission. And more importantly, toward understanding the enemy. 
Our text, as it has been for the last many weeks, comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. As I read Jesus' prayer, I want to invite you in your hearts to just pray along with me. Will you? Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This is God's word for God's world. This then, says Jesus, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word for God's world. Would you continue in prayer with me? Father, as we pause now, whether or not we're aware of it, there, there are forces there are powers in this world actively seeking our ruin. And yet, Father, you, you are so much bigger and so much stronger. And so we ask this morning that, that as we learn from your son, Jesus, about the nature of this war, about who our enemy is, that you would fill us with a sense of hope, that you would train our hearts, that we would not leave this morning un changed. Uh, we, we love you too, and we pray, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by your Spirit. Amen. Lead us not into temptation. Have you ever stopped and just thought about how odd of a prayer this is? Lead us not into temptation. Now, it's odd in one way because in the book of James, in the New Testament, we, uh, we're actually told that, that God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So why, why would we ask God not to do something that he's already promised he would never do? Now, now in response to this, there are some scholars who, who have said, well, okay, well, maybe we're mistranslating the word temptation here. Because in Greek, the Greek word perodsmas can also be translated as trial, depending on the nuance and the context. It can be translated as temptation or it can be translated as trial. And so maybe, says some, maybe how we should translate this verse is lead us not into trials. But once again, we run into a problem if this is the case because once again, Brother James tells us that we should consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And so again, if the prayer was, lead us not into trials, why would we ask God not to lead us into something that, that would be fundamentally good for us? That we should even in some way, consider pure joy. What does this mean? Lead us not into temptation. Well, a good general principle of interpretation when reading the Bible is if you ever come across a word or even maybe a verse that you don't quite understand, 
Keep reading. Keep reading, because oftentimes the immediate context of that word or that verse will provide meaning. And, and in this case, the key comes in the second petition. Because lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one are two inverse ways of really saying the same prayer. The point here is not, not that, that God might in some way lead us into temptation if, if we don't pray, nor is it even that, that God should keep us away from any tempting situation. The point is that when we find ourselves in temptation, that, that we would in some way overcome it, that he would not allow us to be ensnared, trapped, overcome by temptation but that we would be victorious. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Christians in an ancient Greek city called Corinth, he, he put it this way in chapter 10. He said, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. One way to paraphrase this prayer might be like this. God, don't let us be so tempted that it overwhelms us. Instead, rescue us from the evil one. So, so this, this is the prayer then that Jesus gives us. Lead us not into temptation. Do not let us be overcome by the temptations that we experience, but instead deliver us from the evil one. And and this morning, if we're listening carefully to this prayer, and as we pray this prayer, we, I think, discover a few things, a few assumptions that Jesus makes that should inform the way that we think about this war in which we find ourselves. And the first is this. The enemy is real. So we cannot be ignorant. The enemy is real, so we cannot be ignorant. Jesus in this prayer assumes, when he says, deliver us from the evil one, that there is an evil one. This is, this is an assumption that Jesus makes. He speaks of this evil one elsewhere, elsewhere in, in his teachings. He'll use other names or titles to describe this, this evil one, this enemy. He'll use the Satan at times. He'll use the devil at times. But notice the assumption. Jesus assumes that, that the evil one is real. That the evil one exists. That it's not a figment of our imagination. In, in undoubtedly my favorite book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Anyone here read The Screwtape Letters? Okay, good. The Screwtape Letters. Uh, I, I love this book. Uh, it's, it's a very strange, odd, uh, and yet captivating premise. Um, if, if you've never heard of it, it's, it's a collection of fictitious letters written by a senior demon named Screwtape. And these letters are written from Screwtape, this very experienced senior demon, to his nephew, a very young, inexperienced demon in training. And, and all of these letters written from Screwtape to his nephew, Wormwood, 
are instructions as to how to properly tempt human beings. Right? And, and this is the whole book. It's all just these letters. This young demon has been assigned a human being, and his job is to tempt and basically destroy this human being's life. Right? It's a, it's a very odd, even a little dark, of a theme for a book. And, and yet, Lewis's insight into the human condition is uncanny. It is so, so good if, if you've never read it. But in the introduction to this book, Lewis gives two warnings. The first warning he gives when it comes to us thinking about or understanding the demonic is, as he says, you know, there, there are two errors we can make. The first error is, is to become so fascinated by and interested in demonic things that, that we, we actually give them more attention of our heart and mind than we should. We, we actually become in, in some way ob obsessed to the point that we begin to think there's a demon hiding behind every corner, right? And, and may, maybe some of you had met people like this, where, where you sneeze and, and they want to cast a demon out of you. Sometimes I'm like, I, I want to say like, dude, I, I just have a cold, <laughs> right? There's not a, there's not, it's, I'm just sick, all right? And, and so Lewis says there's an error here, there's a danger. We can become unhealthily obsessed with things that we do not fundamentally understand. We should not speculate, right? And, and yet there's, a, there's an equal and opposite error he points out as well in the introduction to this book, and, and it's this. If one of the errors is to be, become too interested in things demonic, the other error is, is basically to, to not at all even think that they exist, that there is this thing called or that there is this one called the evil one. The, the other error is to, is to scoff at the idea, the archaic, outdated, retrograde idea that, that there's a devil. We've, we've progressed. We live in a post-enlightenment, post-modern era. We've been through the scientific revolution. We know that things like Demons and the angels don't exist. And Lewis says these, be careful with these two errors. And, and in fact, I, uh, I recently read an article that was written several years ago by, uh, about this small movement within the field of neuroscience. And this doesn't represent the whole field of neuroscience, but there's a movement within the field of neuroscience that that basically is trying to do away with the language of evil in our culture. And, and basically trying to say that this idea of evil is, is, again, archaic. It's an old idea. It's unhelpful. And let's be honest, we, we really don't believe in objective evil anymore. Instead, and there was an actual paper written on this, instead, what, what the sort of language we should use is, is empathy. And so there aren't people who do evil things. Instead, there's, there's a spectrum of empathy. And on the one hand, you have very empathetic people, and on the other hand, you have people who do not have a capacity for empathy. This, so it is suggested, should be how, how we talk. Instead of using words and ideas like evil. And so Hitler, for example, what he did wasn't evil. He, he's, just, he's just so far on that spectrum. 
of lacking empathy. Right? And, and when I read that, I, I thought, man, if I, if I ever encountered anyone who truly believed this, my, my gut reaction, I think, would be, would be to say, okay, I want you to go to Israel today and go through, just walk through the Holocaust Museum. Because I've, I've been there. Just walk through the Holocaust Museum, watch the videos, look at the pictures, read the stories, and then come out the other end, look at me in the eyes, and tell me that there's no such thing as evil. We know this in our bones. Go to the killing fields in Rwanda. I actually wouldn't wish that upon anyone, but, but imagine with me, right? Read some of the first-hand accounts of anything that happened during the period of time in the history of our country when race-based chattel slavery was the norm. We have endless examples in history that, that we see and we know in our bones there is a war going on in this world. And if we do not recognize who the enemy is, we will be played by him. As we are talking by the way, about who the enemy is. It's, it's important for us to recognize who the enemy isn't. And I find this intriguing. The, the Apostle Paul, near the end of his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, we call it the book of Ephesians. In chapter 6, this is what he said. He said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, our struggle is not against human beings but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What this means is that you, you may have someone in your life who has hurt you. You may have someone in your life who is currently trying to hurt you, who has in some way set themselves up against you, who in some sense may be even an enemy, but whoever that person is, that person is not the enemy. That person is not the enemy. The enemy is real, and so we cannot, we cannot be ignorant. But as we continue through this prayer, we, we discover a second assumption that Jesus makes. And, and it's this, that the enemy is strong. And so we must pray. Notice that it's the one that Jesus refers to as the evil one from whom we need to be delivered. And, and this Greek word here for deliver is a very strong word. It can also be translated as, as snatched or, uh, or rescued. And so the idea is, God, rescue us from the evil one. Like, snatch us away. Imagine a small child being swept away by a strong riptide, right? That, what that child needs is to be pulled out of the water, to be snatched. This prayer assumes that part of the human condition is that we are, in a sense, in need of being rescued, in need of being delivered, in need of being snatched from this one whom Jesus calls the evil one. In the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter describes the situation this way. 
He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We are not on vacation. We are in the midst of a war. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but consider this for a minute. There is a being in this world who is stronger than you, who is smarter than you, who has lived much longer than you, and his agenda is to corrupt, disrupt, and destroy your life. He, he wants to put a wedge between you and God. His weapon of choice is not a gun, it's not a sword, it's not even financial ruin or the sorts of things that we try to avoid in this life. His weapon of choice are lies. If he can get us to believe lies, fundamental lies about who God is, about who we are, about the world, well, then that will begin to affect the way that we live. This is the enemy. He's like a roaring lion. But here's the good news, right? This, this, this is heavy, I understand. But there's good news. Because despite the fact that the enemy is real, so we cannot be ignorant, despite the fact that the enemy is strong, and so assumes Jesus, we must pray. God is so much stronger. Which means we can have hope. God is so much stronger. So much stronger. Whatever it is you are experiencing this morning, however it is you are experiencing this war that's waging all around us that we cannot see, like, the battle's been won. God is so, so much stronger, and we see this nowhere more clearly than when we look at Jesus. Again, in 1 John, we're told this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's why Jesus came, to undo the work that the enemy has been doing. Uh, several years ago, uh, a young man, teenage boy in my church asked me if we could get together. And we had only hung out once. And to be completely honest, I wasn't really sure where he was at in his spiritual journey. And, uh, and so I went, I bought him a hamburger, and, uh, and he, he began to get a bit emotional. And, uh, and he told me he needed to confess something. And so, teenage boy, I, uh, you know, I thought, okay, could, this could be a number of things. And then he began to, to tell me, with, with tears in his eyes, that he was hanging out with his girlfriend the other night. And I thought, oh, okay, yeah, I know where this is going. And then he said, she pulled out a Ouija board. And I thought, oh, I guess I don't know where this is going. <laughs> Keep going. And she pulled out a Ouija board. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with what a Ouija board is. I'm not super familiar, but I quickly learned. Um, it's a little instrument that, uh, that is sometimes used for magic. And by magic, I don't mean like, like card tricks, but I mean fortune-telling type, type magic. 
Um, and and he, he messed with us a little bit. And that experience messed with him a little bit. And, and as he was making this confession to me, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I, I mean, when he first said that, I, I, I was a little bit like, whew, okay, okay, we're, we're heading in a different direction. But as he's making this confession to me, uh, it, two things became very clear. Two things that he felt deep in his heart. One was he felt such guilt. He felt such guilt as if he had committed the unforgivable sin. And so, so after sharing with me, I said, dude, let's, let's, let's talk about the gospel. Like what, whatever it is you've done, like whatever it is, let's talk about the grace and forgiveness of God. Right? He had such a contrite heart. God, I'm so eager and quick to forgive whatever it is that we do when we come before him on our knees. But the second thing I noticed, though, is that he was afraid. He was guilty, but he was also afraid. He, he had this cloud, this, this, an, this anxious fear was hovering over him because he felt as if he, he, by trifling with something that he probably shouldn't have been, he felt like he had in some way like opened a door to something or let something in. And, and, and he wasn't talking about being possessed by a demon. His head wasn't doing the 360 thing, you know. He, but, but there was this fear that had gripped him. And so I, I said, brother, let me just tell you a story. So Jesus... One day, Jesus and his disciples, they went to the other side of a lake. And they went to this Gentile town they hadn't spent much time in. And this town, in this town, there was this guy who had this reputation for being the crazy demon-possessed guy. He had superhuman strength. They tried to chain him at one point, but he broke the chains. He lived in the cemetery. And at night, he would howl like a wolf. Like, imagine being a kid growing up in this town and hearing as you're falling asleep at night that crazy demon-possessed guy in the cemetery. Like, this is a terrifying figure. Not the kind of guy you want to, like, walk by at night on the street. And so the Jesus and the disciples come to this town, and, and as they pull their boats ashore and begin walking, there he is, this crazy man. And uh, as soon as the disciples see him, I imagine they were probably like, okay, Jesus, uh, let's get back in the boat. But Jesus stands there. And then the guy starts moving toward Jesus. At first a slow walk, and then a jog, and then a sprint. This man is running toward Jesus. And I imagine the disciples were probably running in the opposite direction. Jesus says one word. And this guy falls flat on his face before Jesus. And he cries out to Jesus. He says, I know who you are. Jesus, son of the living God, why have you come here? Please, have mercy on me. Right? These demons who were possessing this man were terrified of Jesus. They didn't stand a chance. And you see, as you follow the story of Jesus, you see encounters like this over and over and over again to the point where Jesus goes to the cross. He looks evil in the face and he defeats it, not with a sword, 
not through coercive power, but through self-sacrificially laying down his life and thus taking the full weight of sin, death, and evil upon himself and thus exhausting it of its power and then being raised from the dead and calling all people, including every single one of us here this morning, to put our faith in him, to trust him with our very lives. Like, whatever aspect of this war that's waging all around us, you are feeling this morning, whatever it is, whatever weight you feel oppressed by, like, would you cry out to Jesus? He's so much bigger, he is so much stronger, and he, he loves you. And he wants good for you. Final question for this morning. It's very simple. Where is the enemy at work in your life this morning? Where is the enemy at work in your life this morning? If we do not recognize that we are living in the midst of a war, we will be played. By him. The enemy is real, so we mustn't be ignorant. The enemy is strong, and so we must pray. But friends, God is so much stronger, so we can have hope. I want to invite you now, this morning, to stand with me. As we, uh, hopefully not for the last time ever, but for the sake of this series, we'll pray this prayer that Jesus has given us together. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.